continually rejecting Christ. But here we are a few thousand years later, and people are still rejecting Christ. So it's a theme throughout humanity. Uh, it's a theme of people rejecting Christ and, and not believing the truth and, and hating the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. But uh, we've, been, we've been looking at this back-and-forth dialogue in chapter 8 between Jesus and between these Jews who were very religious, yet they rejected Jesus. And we've been seeing them go back and forth with Jesus speaking truth, Jesus revealing truth, the people having a problem with what Jesus said, and them rejecting Christ and mocking Christ and making fun of Christ. And then Jesus comes back with, with more truth. And uh, we just have Jesus speaking truth, the people rejecting it. Uh, Jesus speaks the truth and they try to defend their thought process. And we've seen that. We've seen them almost, not almost, they've been arguing with Jesus, where Jesus, who is unable of lying, he cannot lie, he's speaking absolute truth, he's mercifully, graciously revealing himself, revealing this truth to these people who are steeped in religion, who are steeped in, in self-righteousness, who are, who are just stuck in their religious ways, they're very zealous, they're very devoted to what they believed in. But we have Jesus who will free them from their sin, standing right in front of them, and they want to defend their belief system, or they want to defend why they believe what they believe when Jesus is absolute truth, trying to speak truth to them. And we just see that back and forth dialogue, and it just gets frustrating after a while. Jesus speaks the truth, and they get angry. They have the truth mercifully declaring the truth. So we have the truth, who is Jesus, mercifully declaring truth right in front of them, and they blindly reject him. And that's a positive, as, as we study this, a positive thing is that we see the patience of God, we see the mercy of God, we see his, his grace standing there in front of them, continuing to try to show them the truth, try to reveal himself. I mean, aren't you thankful for that? Where you see how they respond to Christ, where they're calling him bad names. What they call him cuts, should cut deep. I mean, if someone's calling me these things, I'm going to have a hard time mercifully, graciously standing in front of them. I'm, you know, my tendency would want to be come out swinging and, you know, defend my, my honor and who I am. But we have Jesus who is perfect, who will always respond righteously standing in front of them, just continued mercy. And yes, his words are harsh, but harsh, but they are true words. You have these, these unbelieving people remaining stuck in their sins and their spiritual deadness, just buried in this self-righteousness, loaded with hatred towards the only one that can free them and can give them life. So you have someone in front of them trying to help them, yet they remain hateful towards this one, the only one, something their religion could never do. Jesus was standing in front of them declaring to be the way to free them from their, their sins. Um, today we're going to see more of the same, but their hatred is going to actually boil over into violence today, where it's not just like they're saying mean stuff to him. They're going to pick up rocks and figure out how we can kill Jesus. They, they want to take Jesus out. 
because of the truth that he's declaring to them. Um, I titled the message, not that it matters, but if you're taking notes, a big problem. And why did I call it a big problem? I think a, a big problem is an understatement for these folks that, that will reject Jesus and rely on their righteous deeds for spiritual life. Uh, it's a big problem to argue with Jesus. You ever tried arguing with Jesus? And he's absolute truth, so it's kind of hard to argue against truth. It's a big problem to mock Jesus. It's a big problem to reject Jesus. It's a big problem to try and kill Jesus with rocks. And that's exactly what we're going to see these people doing. So our text today, John 8, 48 through 59, we'll read those verses, we'll pray, and then we'll jump right into our study today. Starting in verse 48. Then answered the Jews and said unto him, Say we not well that thou art a Samaritan and hast a devil? Who are they talking to there? They're talking to Jesus. They call him a Samaritan and they call him a devil, well, or that he has a devil. We'll get back to that. Verse 49, Jesus answered, I have not a devil, but I honor my father, and ye do dishonor me. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. Then said the Jews unto him, Now we know that thou hast a devil. Abraham is dead, and the prophets. And thou sayest, If a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead? And the prophets are dead? Who makest thou thyself? Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. But I know him and keep his saying. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it and was glad. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Then they took up stones to cast at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you that we can meet together. Thank you that we can uh, spend some time together today as a group of believers. I just pray that you'll help us to be who you created us to be, that we'll encourage each other and that we'll challenge each other and that we'll, we'll love each other and that, that we'll just be a, a properly functioning body. I thank you that you love us, that you care for us. I pray that you will please work in our hearts and our minds today. I pray that we'll be sensitive and obedient to whatever you may have for us. Uh, thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you <clears throat> just the way that you work, the way that you're real, the way that you're alive, the way that we can, we can trust in you and we can follow you in your leading with confidence. Please work in our hearts this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So as we jumped into chapter 48, um, we're kind of catching up with where we ended up in our last study, which Jesus had spoken some truth to these people that they took kind of in, in a hard way. They didn't really receive it well. Yeah, Jesus, you're right. We'll repent of that. 
Um, that wasn't really their response. Um, Jesus spoke some harsh words to them. Go back up to verse 44. Imagine Jesus speaking this to people who thought that they were all that, who thought that they had it figured out, who thought that they were as righteous as it comes. Everybody bow down to me. I, I am the religious man. Here's what Jesus said to them. Ye are of your father, the devil. So he tells them, your, your dad's the devil. That's not what they wanted to hear. And the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. And because I tell you the truth, you believe me not. Which of you convinceth me of sin, and if I say the truth, why do you not believe me? He that is of God heareth God's words. Ye therefore hear them not, because ye are not of God. So they thought they had God figured out. They thought they had this, this tight standing with God because of their lineage, because they were of the line of Abraham, because they did all these feasts and followed these rules and traditions, and they thought they had it figured out, and Jesus was a crazy lunatic liar going around spreading lies. Jesus tells them, listen, I am from God. God is my father. If you are against me, if you do not believe in me, guess who your father is, religious people? Your father is the devil. That, they didn't like that. Like, that doesn't sit too well for them to hear that. But it was truth. If they're against Jesus, they did not know the father. If they didn't know the father, they didn't know Jesus and vice versa. And we've seen that play out over and over again. So Jesus calls these people out, shows them their reality, that you're of the father of the devil if you reject me. So how are they going to respond to what Jesus said? You could imagine they're going to start, they're going to respond with, with ignorance and disrespectfully because they didn't like Jesus or believe in him. So verse 48, their response to Jesus saying this was that they called him a Samaritan and they said that he has a devil. So they respond to truth. Jesus declares truth. They respond to this truth with criticism. Isn't that a, a fairly typical response to truth, even these days? Like, you hear people talk about people who believe in God, or you hear about people talk about Christians. What, what are some things that they say? You're uneducated. You're ignorant. You are crazy. You have too much faith to believe that a God could, could speak the world into existence or things that, that we believe in with all of our heart. People try to push it away just saying that we're ignorant and we need to believe in other forms of science or tests or whatever. When we can confidently trust in God and have faith in God, the response to truth by rejectors is often criticism. Hey, I don't have a good argument to say against you, Christian, so I'm just going to say you're ignorant and uneducated, and I'm just going to throw out hateful things to you because you're just a Christian, and I can't, I can't deal with that. So they throw out these slanders at Jesus. They call him a Samaritan. Why a Samaritan? Why would they call Jesus a Samaritan? It's not really a term of endearment as a Jew to call someone a Samaritan. It's not a term of endearment as a Samaritan to call someone a Jew. They kind of clashed a little bit. We've looked at their history in the past. But the Jews thought very little of the Samaritans. Maybe they called Jesus a Samaritan because they questioned the, the, legit, the legitimacy of Jesus being a full-blooded Jew. Remember we talked about that last week, how, how 
they talked about we're truly of the line of Abraham. We, we can trace our line back. We are, we are full-blooded Jews, and they could question the, the birth of Jesus and the legitimacy there where there was lots of legends that grew where Mary had an affair with somebody and was not a Jew and all this stuff. So they could have called Jesus a Samaritan just to insult him, questioning the line if he was a pure Jew. But we know Jesus is from the line of David. We know that, that he was conceived by the Holy Spirit uh, in, in the Virgin Mary. We know these things. But they could just be throwing out these insults, questioning the legitimacy of, of Jesus' line. Uh, what I think is that they don't have a good comeback to what Jesus said, where there is so much truth there. They don't want to accept the truth. So they just respond with insulting words. Okay, Jesus, we don't like what you say, so we're just going to be mean to you and start speaking nonsense because we hate you and, and we want to just spew out hate to you. They couldn't intelligently refute his claims, so they attacked him with insults. Which, man, we could park it there. With That's how people often respond to truth who reject truth. Just jump at it with insults. To call a Jew a Samaritan was about as harsh of an insult as you could offer. Jesus spoke the truth to them. The response that they needed to have was repentance. Jesus, you're right. We're operating in the power of the devil. We are acting wrong. You are the Messiah. You are the way, the truth, the life. You are the bread of life. You are the living water. We fall down in repentance. That's the proper response. Without repentance, they're in big trouble in their self-righteous pride. How do they respond? It's not repentance. It's with insult. Think of the insult. I mean, the Jews hated Samaritans. The Jews avoided Samaritans. They wouldn't even go where they thought there might be a Samaritan. They'd take a huge old long journey just to go around where a Samaritan could be. The Jews did not think highly of the Samaritans. The Jews rejected the Samaritans. They rejected the way they worshiped. They rejected so many things that the Jews wouldn't let the Samaritans help them in any type of religious practice. They completely rejected the Samaritans, and they literally hated them. So for them to call Jesus a Samaritan, what are they doing? What are they, what are they saying? They're saying that Jesus was a false teacher. They're saying that Jesus was a traitor to Israel which is how they viewed the Samaritans. They're saying that Jesus was an enemy of God. So it's more than just throwing out this slander, oh, Jesus, you're a Samaritan. This is big-time rejection. They reject all these things about Jesus, and they're making it known by calling him a Samaritan. They didn't stop there, because they go on to say that he is possessed by a devil or that he is demon-possessed. What is that talking about? First of all, they're saying we reject who you are as a Samaritan, and then we think that you're crazy. That's what they were talking about when they called him demon-possessed. They thought he was a lunatic. They thought he was operating by a devil, and he was just speaking out crazy things. It's not the first time these religious leaders responded in this way to the truth. They said that John the Baptist who was the forerunner of Christ, who prepared the way for Christ to come, they said that he had a devil. Jesus tells us that in Matthew eleven eighteen. 18. The unbelieving people say Jesus has a devil in Mark chapter 3, 22, um, verse 30, Matthew 10, 25, John 7, 20. It's not the first time they're going to say Jesus has a devil, and it's not the last time they're going to say it. Over and over, they'll say, Jesus, you're crazy. You must have a devil. Which, in their rejection of him, 
and they said they had a relationship with God, and Jesus was claiming to be from God, to be God, to be the Messiah, there was going to be some friction there. They had to have some way to explain it away. So the easiest thing for them to do was just throw out this slander as you're a Samaritan, you're not a true Jew, and you're just crazy so we don't have to listen to you. But I don't know how that explains the miracles, the healings. The, the many signs and wonders that Jesus did to give evidence to the fact that he is God, that he was God in the flesh. There's so much evidence around it. It's just unreal, their, their unbelief and their rejection of Jesus. You can uh, jump ahead to John chapter 10, 20. It should be on the same page as you're on. And many of them said, he hath the devil and is mad. Why hear ye him? Uh, they again accused Jesus of, of being possessed by a devil. And to say this was to say that he was insane. In their ignorance and rejection, they accused Jesus of being crazy and operating in the power of the devil, which is so far from the truth. Jesus is operating according to the Father's will. He's operating in, in grace, in mercy, and in love. Then you go to verse 49. And you see how Jesus responds. It's uh, in a matter-of-fact sort of way. He's not doesn't defend himself, doesn't give this great argument. How, how does he respond to them? I don't have a devil. But here's what I do. I honor my Father, and ye do dishonor me. So he just right out there just kind of dismisses what they say, doesn't feel this need to defend himself or have this great exhortation of how he is from God and he's not the devil. He just says, I'm not a devil. And not even close. I am from my father. I honor my father. Isn't that a familiar theme that we've been looking at as we've been going through the Gospels here? We've been seeing all these Gospels work together. And Jesus says he's operating in the, the power of the Father. He's obeying the Father's will. or He's in the Father's timeline. Uh, in John 4, John 5, again in John 5, John 6, John 8, John 14, John 15, John 17. You see this evidence where Jesus is operating according to the Father's will. His purpose is to honor the Father. So he says, I honor my father. He said that over and over. And what does he say they're doing? You are dishonoring me. So I am honoring the father. I am honoring God. The way that you're responding to me and my honoring of God is to dishonor me. So in dishonoring Jesus, they were dishonoring the father. When you break it all down, to dishonor means to despise, to reject, to shame. Isn't that what they had done to Jesus? Isn't that what these unbelieving people had been doing to Jesus his whole ministry? Except for maybe when he gave them a, a nice hot meal and then they wanted to make him king so he'd keep giving them hot meals. But then when he opened his mouth, they rejected him and they wanted to kill him. Thanks for the free food, just keep your mouth shut. Basically how they responded to Jesus. And Jesus says, everything I do is to bring honor to the Father. You reject me and you reject everything that I do. And that's a big problem. Because Jesus' Father is the one true God. Jesus' Father was the God that they claimed to be their Father. You see, Jesus and these religious rejectors claimed to have the same Father. But one was honoring the Father and one was dishonoring the Father by dishonoring His Son. So not even close to the same 
page there. For them to dishonor the Son was to dishonor God. And we saw that in, in verse 42 of chapter 8. Jesus said unto them, If God were your Father, you would love me. For I proceeded forth and came from God, neither came I of myself, but he sent me. You go back to John chapter 5, verse 23. That all men should honor the Son, even as they honor the Father. He that honoreth not the Son, honoreth not the Father which hath sent him. And then you jump ahead to, to 1523. He that hateth me hateth my father also. So for them to speak slander against Jesus, for them to hate Jesus, for them to reject Jesus, was to ultimately speak hate and rejection against the Father, the true God. Big problem for these people steeped in zealous religiousness towards God because they were not honoring the true God. They were rejecting the true God. Then you go, you could jump ahead to, to 1 John chapter 2, verse 23. Whosoever denieth the Son, the same hath not the Father, but he that acknowledgeth the Son hath the Father also. You see, it's a package deal there. It's not the Father or the Son. It's the Father and the Son together. You love God, you love the Son. You love Jesus, you love God. It, it works together. You can't reject one or the other. Then verse number 50. And I seek not mine own glory. There is one that seeketh and judgeth. So what does Jesus say here? I, I didn't come to this earth seeking my own glory. Remember Jesus was humbled and took upon himself the form of a servant. He left glory. He left heaven to come to this earth and be humbled and humiliated and mocked and rejected 33 years or so. He endured that, that shame and that suffering. Isn't that so opposite of, of what the Pharisees, what these religious leaders were about? Jesus says, I'm not about my own glory. I'm not here for my own glory. What were the religious leaders about? What were the, the Pharisees and Sadducees and scribes? What were they about? It was about, look at me. Look at the, the fancy stuff I added to my skirt that I'm wearing. I mean, look, look how beautifully I dress myself. Look how well I pray in public. Look, look at all these righteousness I have. Their religious system was, look at me, look at me. Look how holy and spiritual and righteous I am. It was bringing honor to themselves. How many people they could get to follow themselves. Who, how much authority, how much power they could have over the people. And Jesus was about bringing glory to his Father. So much so that he humbled himself to take upon him the form of a servant. Com Do you see the, the, the disconnect here between these people who rejected Christ and Christ? They're operating in completely different systems and they're seeking completely different things here. There's a big, big problem going on. Jesus says, I came seeking to glorify the Father. I came to seek and to save the lost. I came and operate in perfect obedience to the Father. And then he says, there is one that seeketh and judgeth. The Father seeks honor for the Son. The Father judges rightly and has determined the Son is worthy of glory. So many people reject Jesus and try to bash his name. But the one who really matters, the Father, has given the Son a position, a place of glory and honor. 
Remember Jesus said, this is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Uh, look at Philippians. I just want to turn to a few passages so you can see these. Philippians chapter 2, then we'll go to Psalm chapter 2, Psalm 110, Isaiah 52. Can you remember all those? I have cheating bookmarks in my Bible, so... I just want you to see the Father honoring the Son. Because if you're going to be honored by someone, I would much rather it be God than sinful, fallen men. Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. Speaking of Jesus, Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And then you can go back to the Old Testament. You can go back to Psalms chapter 2. And you see the Father glorifying the Son in Psalms chapter 2, verses uh, 6 through 12. Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. I will declare the decree. The Lord hath said unto me, Thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Ask of me, and I shall give thee the heathen for thine inheritance, and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry, and ye perish from the way when his wrath is kindled upon a little, uh, kindled but a little. Blessed are they that have put their trust in him. And then you jump over to Psalm 110, verse number one. The Lord said unto my Lord, Sit thou at my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool. Then you go to Isaiah 52. Verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Jesus may have been, been despised, rejected, and dishonored by men, but the Father knows where Jesus' rightful place is. After Jesus died and rose from the dead, he ascended to the place of supreme honor at the right hand of the Father. Isn't that a beautiful thing? Yes, he was rejected. Yes, he was mocked. Yes, yes he bore the sins of humanity on his shoulders and, and he took the weight, the punishment for our sins. He endured that. But in the end of it all, he's restored back up to his place of honor at the right hand of the Father. And he is there making intercession for us. Isn't that amazing? I don't deserve anybody to make intercession for me. I deserve to bear the full brunt of my sins. And I'm a sinful person. I'll be the first person to tell you that. I deserve to bear my sins, but Jesus Christ humbled himself, took upon him the form of a servant, bore my sins on his shoulder on the cross, was raised again from the dead, and ascended back to the right hand of God, where he is in a position of honor. And in that position, he makes a way for me to be right before the Father. I'm so thankful for that. If I was trying to fight to be righteous enough to be before God, man, I'm in big trouble. 
Big, big trouble. Because I already told you how I would have responded to these people. I would have started swinging and, and punching them and trying to defend myself when we have Jesus here just declaring truth, speaking the truth, declaring the truth to these people, bringing glory to the Father. Verse 51, Verily, verily, I say unto you, if a man keep my saying, he shall never see death. So we have Jesus here interacting with these people, and he's already got them super riled up. Like, they are super mad right now. And you can almost see their faces turning red or purple at this point. Like, they are just angry. And Jesus is like, I'm going to give them some more truth. And they're going to have a big problem with this truth as well. He starts out, verily, verily. And I imagine when Jesus would start out with verily, verily, because it means truly, truly, or listen up, this is very important. I wonder if these people were just tired of hearing that stuff. Because sure, they'd pipe their attention up, okay, what you got now, Jesus? And then they'd reject what he said. So he says, all right, this is very important. Listen up. This, this is true. It's super important. And you can imagine them all, this is going to be good. What other crazy nonsense does Jesus have to give me? He says, believe what I say and follow me. And the result is eternal life. And don't you see the, the merciful display of grace to these haters? He's still speaking truth. Believe in me, follow me, and the result is eternal life. Think of John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. So we see this theme throughout God's word. Uh, John 5.24, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation but is passed from death into life. John 6, verse 50 this is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. This is a theme Jesus has been giving to the people. Believe on me and you will have everlasting life. You will live. I am the bread of life. I am the spiritual life that you need, Jesus says. He said, believe on me and you will have life. And then I think of Jesus' words to Martha these words of comfort after they've been through a, kind of a difficult time with Lazarus dying and Jesus gets there apparently too late, but he's not. He, he brings Lazarus back to death, but you have Martha who is pretty sad. John eleven twenty five. Jesus says, Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live and whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? Do you see this? That, that, that faith in, in Christ brings you from a spiritual deadness to spiritual life. He works in your heart. You believe on him. Salvation comes and you pass from death, from spiritual deadness into spiritual life. Through Jesus Christ, through the bread of life, through, through the way, the truth, the life, you are made alive by faith in him. And his question to Martha is, do you believe this? Look how Martha responds, verse 27. She saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. That's it. That's the response right there. 
I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you are the Messiah. I believe that life is found in you. But these unbelieving Jews, these children of the devil, as Jesus called them, uh, look at their response. Verse 52. I mean, Jesus just laid it out there. Believe on me and you'll have life. Here's what they say. Now we know that thou hast a devil. Okay, we know you're really crazy now, Jesus. Abraham is dead in the prophets, and thou sayest, if a man keep my saying, he shall never taste of death. What did they hear? They heard nothing spiritual that Jesus said. They just heard literal. They heard physical. And what's their response to this life Jesus had just offered? They respond with rejection. We know you're crazy, Jesus. What are you talking about? That's not verily, verily. That's not truly, truly. You're crazy. Abraham's dead, and so are those great prophets who followed you better than they did, and they died. Don't you remember Abraham and the other prophets? They were great men. They did incredible things. They are highly revered. They followed God. They obeyed God. And guess what, Jesus? They're not standing here with us right now. They died. So how are you in your craziness going to say, if you believe in me and follow me, you won't die? How can you say that, Jesus? Verse 53. Art thou greater than our father Abraham, which is dead, and the prophets are dead? Who makest thou thyself? You don't really think you're greater than the prophets, do you, Jesus? Who do you think you are? Who do you think you are to stand up here and to tell us, believe in me and you can have life? Who do you think you are, Jesus? And you see the big problem. Because Jesus is greater. Jesus is God. Jesus is the only hope for sinful humanity. Yet the people respond with prideful rejection. Verse 54. Jesus just keeps his cool here. It's so... Like at some point, wouldn't you just want to smack them? Like, listen up, people. Listen to what I'm saying. Verse 54, Jesus answered, If I honor myself, my honor is nothing. It is my Father that honoreth me, of whom ye say that he is your God. So Jesus repeats this truth. He's already shared with them, verses 49 and verse 50 earlier in the chapter. He tells, I'm I'm not seeking my own honor. I'm not here to glorify myself. I'm not here to puff myself up and make myself look great before men. It's my Father that that honoreth me. It's my Father that that I'm following His will, that I'm doing what He has. The honor that I receive, the honor that I care about is from my Father. My Father is the one that you say is your God. So Jesus again tells them, hey, we're both claiming to have the same God, but we are super far away on what we believe about God and what honors God and and where God finds truth and righteousness. We are so far away here. Verse 55, Yet ye have not known him, but I know him. What did Jesus do here? These people had given their lives to religious duties and deeds, and they took pride on how right they were before God. And then Jesus just straight tells them, you don't even know God, but I know him. 
And if I should say I know him not, I shall be a liar like unto you. So, pretty serious, pretty straightforward here. Not only do you not know the true God, but if I say I don't know the true God, then I'm a liar. And he adds, just like you guys are a bunch of liars. So not really winning friends here. And if I should say I know him not, I should be a liar like unto you. But I know him and I keep his saying. I truly know God and I follow him. He tells them, you don't actually know God. If they knew the Father, they would believe the Son. And we've seen that repeated over and over and over. The evidence that they did not truly know God, the evidence that their whole religious system was messed up, was that they rejected the Son. Because to reject the Son, they rejected the Father, and vice versa. They were not children of God. They were actually children of the devil, verse 44 tells us. Jesus says, I know him. And this probably made them really mad. I mean, they're probably boiling over at this point in anger. And he, he, keeps, he keeps going here in, in his saying that, that if, if I said I didn't know him, I'd be a liar like you all. Not what they wanted to hear. I'm not a liar. I actually know him. I actually do what he says, unlike you people do, he tells them. Verse 56 your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day. So what, where was their claim to righteousness? Part of their claim to righteousness, where did they find that? They found it in their lineage in Abraham, right? So Jesus says here, your physical father, yes, you're a spiritual descendant of Abraham. Your, your physical, did I say spiritual descendant? Not spiritual descendant, I'm sorry. Your physical descendant of Abraham. Yes, you are of the line of Abraham. And he says, the way that Abraham responded when he saw me was to rejoice in my coming day. When Abraham heard this, this foretelling of the coming Messiah, his response was rejoicing and belief. Way different than their response. They're not spiritual descendants of God or of Abraham. And it's evidence in the way that they believe, in the way that they act, in the way that they respond. Abraham welcomed Christ's day. Abraham saw in his son Isaac the beginning of God's fulfillment of his covenant with him would culminate in the coming of the Messiah. So we're going way back, way back to the promise of, of Isaac. And Isaac comes and, and through all this, God sees, or Abraham sees this, this covenant, this covenant. I cannot talk today, I'm sorry. <laughs> Someone else should be speaking. And they, they see this Abraham is able to see this covenant coming to fruition. He's able to see that there is a coming Messiah. And when he hears of this coming Messiah, his response is rejoice, is to just rejoice. What's the response of these rejectors when the Messiah is standing right in front of them declaring freedom? It's hatred. It's, it's not believing. It's rejection. It's about to get physical. They're about to pick up rocks to throw at him. So much different than their father, the one that they claimed to be their way to righteousness. They are not even on the same planet as him in what they believe about the Messiah. It's a big, big problem. And Jesus is just trying to paint this and make this clear to them that, hey, I am the truth. I am who I say that I am. Believe on me. 
Abraham looked forward to the coming Messiah. The Messiah was standing right in front of them, and they rejected him. They wanted to kill him, giving evidence that they did not know God and were not spiritual children of Abraham. Then you look at verse 57. Again, you see their, their brilliance and their response. Then said the Jews unto him, Thou art not yet fifty years old, and hast thou seen Abraham? Again, completely physical response. Yes, Abraham died a long time ago. Jesus isn't claiming to have been with Abraham in the, this physical sense where, where he was walking around and hanging out with him and he knew how Abraham responded to everything. Jesus is, is spiritually speaking here. Uh, come on, Jesus, you're not even 50 years old. You're like in your 30s. How do you, how do you say that, that you know Abraham like this? That's not what Jesus said or meant. But Jesus would answer anyways. And I love the way Jesus responds here. He says, verily, verily, there it is again. Like, truly, truly, listen up, guys, it's coming. And you can almost see them roll their eyes. Come on, Jesus, stop it with the verily, verily stuff. Look what he says. Before Abraham was, I am. Finally, something he said clicked. Because they knew that he was claiming deity. They knew that he was claiming to be eternal God. Before Abraham was, I am. We talked about that I am title. A title for God. You cannot fully describe God, and God describes himself as I am. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. I am the eternal God. I have always been and will always be. I was before Abraham. I am now. I am after Abraham. I am eternal God. I am God, is what he says. Uh, just one more verse to, to flip to back at the beginning of John. John 1, 1 and 2. Speaking of Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Jesus is eternal God, everlasting God. No beginning, no end. We see Jesus active in creation. We see Jesus active throughout humanity. You can look back and you can find Jesus in Genesis chapter 1. He is eternal God. And as I said, these, these people understood his, what he said as far as before Abraham was, I am. Because, look what they do. First part of verse 59. They took up stones to cast at him. They're very passionate to protect God's honor. They didn't believe Jesus was God, so when Jesus claims to be God, what's their response? We're going to kill him. We're going to take the law into our own hands. He's claiming to be God. You think of even as when Jesus was on trial, what was one of their problems with him? That he claimed to be God? He's worthy of death. He needs to die. He claims to be God. Well, he claims to be God right in front of them. They understand finally what he's saying. They pick up these stones in their spiritual blindness. They're going to stone God for blaspheming God. Do you see that there? 
They think Jesus is blaspheming God, but he is God, so he can say, before Abraham was, I am. He actually was God, so in their zealousness, they're going to kill God for claiming to be God. That's a problem. Big problem. It doesn't, they were religiously zealous, but they were spiritually blind. I thought of that all by myself. Can you believe that? <laughs> religiously zealous but spiritually blind they so badly wanted to fight for something they wanted to defend their righteousness they wanted to stand up for something and when the truth was standing there right in front of them they didn't want to stand for that they didn't want to believe in that and they wanted to pick up the rocks and kill him does that remind you of saul before he was paul extremely religious and and self-righteous, and he was going around capturing Christians, possibly killing Christians, wanted to expand his territory of where he would collect Christians, those who believed in Christ. Just zealous for religion. Zealous for this God of his imagination. But he met Jesus. Remember that story? Changed instantly. No longer zealous for this self-righteous legalistic system. He was zealous for Christ. And God changed his life. Christ changed his heart, changed his purpose. And all of a sudden, he's going around helping out Christians and proclaiming the gospel. And could you imagine being a Christian and hear that this Saul guy is coming to your, your prayer meeting tonight? Oh, man, I'm not going tonight. That guy was just killing Stephen over there. But you see God's power. You see God's working. You see a man who was zealous for religion, but he was spiritually blind. And then God opens his eyes. And he changes his heart and changes his life. Then the second part of verse 59, I don't want to skip this. So they took up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple, going through the midst of them, and so passed by. It's not time for him to die yet. So he miraculously and supernaturally escapes, and I absolutely believe this was another miracle of Jesus. Because you're surrounded by all these people that hate you. It's not like, you know, they're going to not know where you are unless you're God and you can get out of there. They're looking to kill you. They've been down to pick up these stones and Jesus is gone. Just slipped right out through the middle of them. I'm sure it was a packed room. I mean, I'm sure it was a loud scene. I'm sure there was attention drawn. And then all of a sudden Jesus is gone. Oh no, now what? We got these rocks. Who are we going to throw them at? it's not time for Jesus to die and, and God lets him, helps him get out of there without one single rock being thrown at his head. He slips right out through the angry mob. It says he goes out through the midst of them. So he just walks right out of there and nobody can do a thing about it. It's not his time to die. This whole chapter that we've been looking at um, has really caused me to consider, has really caused me um, to think about God's, God's power. I mean, you can just see God's power on display here. God's, God's plan, you see God, you see God working here. Uh, and you see God's glory, which is, is so important for us to see and, and consider and think about the glory of God. God is so worthy of praise, of honor, and to be glorified. The proper response to who he is is faith 
is humility, is repentance, is obedience, is worship, is praise. That's a proper response to who God actually is in his holiness, in his righteousness. It's so sad to see these people pridefully reject the clear truth that is right in front of them. And John 8, 24, I'll just read it to you. We've already read it multiple times. I said therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins if ye believe not that I am he. Ye shall die in your sins. We see this merciful, gracious warning given to these people. But we see this, this prideful, blatant rejection of who Jesus is. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, and he should be honored as such. To believe Jesus, to honor Jesus, is to glorify the Father. You say, well, I want my life to be about glorifying God. I want my, my life to be about honoring God, which is our, we're created for his pleasure, to bring him glory, to bring him honor. How do we do that? We believe Jesus and we follow Jesus. At the name of Christ, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What does it mean for Jesus to be Lord? It means to be king, to be master. So our response to Jesus is, you are my Lord, you are my master. I'm going to believe you. I'm going to follow you. And what is the result of all that? At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. To what? To the glory of of God the Father. To believe Jesus, to follow Jesus, does what? Brings glory to the Father. You want to glorify the Father? Follow Jesus. Believe what Jesus had to say. Such a wonderful truth, a wonderful reality. I'm just so thankful for my God, for his faithfulness. And uh, I want to be careful to follow Jesus. And, and yes, Jesus is the only one that can perfectly live the Christian life because he's perfect sinless God. But we can follow him and we can seek to, to obey him. And in following Christ, we bring glory to God the Father. Let's pray together. Dear Father, I thank you so much for this time together. Please work in our hearts. Please uh, just encourage us. I pray that you'll challenge us. Um, I pray that we'll be faithful to, to share the reality of, of your goodness and your greatness, the, the reality of the gospel, the, the salvation that you have made a way for. I pray that we will faithfully uh, follow you and love you and worship you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.